This episode of the Blockhouse Podcast is sponsored by my friend Tiger at ITZTiger.music on Instagram. He does all the audio tracks for the Blockhouse Podcast. He's on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes. Go check him out. The podcast is also sponsored by Day and Night, the ultimate revolution in vaping batteries, the double-bladed lightsaber of vaping. Why enjoy one flavor when you can enjoy two flavors at the same time? Go check them out on Instagram at Day and Night Battery. But wait, the podcast is also sponsored by Bengali, the new hip clothing brand that is about to take Medellin by storm. Quality clothing for men that fits right and that is stylish at the same time. I love it. I got tons of it. And you'll see me wearing it on the podcast. Get yours now. Go to bengali.shop on Instagram. Lastly, be sure to sign up for the Blockchain Insider newsletter. For only $250 a month, you will get weekly updates on the crypto market, my top investment picks, and advanced analysis to help you make better informed investment decisions. You can't put a price on that. So go click on the link in the description and sign up today. What's up, guys? It is Friday, June 18th, episode 143. And today I have Manuel Rensink, the Director of Innovation Strategy for Securency. Manuel is a seasoned financial markets specialist serving as a strategy and business development advisor for Securency. Securency delivers a suite of tools that help enable issuance, maintenance, and secondary trading of tokenized securities. So with that said, be sure to subscribe and share this episode with somebody that you think would like to learn more about blockchain and well rinsing in Securency, as well as tokenized securities. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast. Um, happy to have you here. How are you doing, man? Yeah, I'm doing uh, very well. Thanks for having me. It's uh, uh, been looking forward to it uh, all week. So yeah, let's do this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I know you mentioned already where you live and where you're based. Um, you know, before we started the recording, but just for the people, like, where are you based and um, where are you right now? Because you said you're jet lagged and you just traveled a bunch and. Yeah, that's right. So uh, I am based in uh, Dubai. So Dubai is in the United Arab Emirates in the Middle East. Uh, I've been here for about 11 years. Uh, I love it here. And I'm a little bit jet lagged still because I just came back from a three weeks trip to the US. Mm -hmm. Beautiful country. Uh, Did quite a trip there. Went to Boston. We we met uh, a few of our uh, key clients there, then down to uh, New York, where we had some very interesting meetings with uh, some uh, interesting uh, hedge fund guys, Uh, then down to Washington, D.C., where we are actually headquartered, Uh, then to Annapolis, where our CEO lives and where we had a company offsite for a week, Uh, and then a few days of uh, fun in uh, New Orleans, and then back uh, to Houston and back to Dubai. That's a lot of traveling. Is that normal for you? Yeah. Or? Um, well, I, I always used to travel a lot, but uh, no, it's not normal in the last 18 months because of, of course, uh, COVID. So mm-hmm. it was a real, a real relief to, um, to be able to leave the house and, um, yeah, and travel again. Yeah, I needed that. Yeah, even before COVID though, like, did you have to travel that much for, for work or is it kind of just you catching up on things and going places? 
Yeah, I always travel a lot. I used to be based in the UK, in London, where I was working for uh, a JP Morgan spin-off, a tech company uh, active in uh, risk, risk um, analytics and risk data. And I was head of uh, Europe, Middle East and Africa. So I traveled all over that region, uh, you know, every week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then later on, when this company... Uh, well, actually, I, I then moved to Dubai with the company to set up an office uh, in, in Dubai. We were then acquired by MSCI, and at MSCI, uh, which is which is a very large uh, index company, index analytics company, um, uh, and I became the uh, head of the Middle East and North Africa. So I then I, I traveled around the, the Middle East a lot. Uh, and a little bit less in the last five years with uh, with my current company's currency. I've been traveling uh, a little bit to uh, to interesting places as well, mainly the U.S. and uh, and uh, Singapore. Um, so so yeah, it's uh, it's part of what I do. I like it. Nice. Yeah. Why why did you decide to get into blockchain? Like, was there like a single reason why or a point in time where you decided you wanted to work in this industry, or was it just by coincidence and happenstance or what's the story? Mm-hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't have a, like a very interesting Genesis story. I wasn't mm-hmm. um, a dissident in, uh, in Caracas or uh, I wasn't uh, dealing drugs on, on uh, Silk Road. Um, I guess how I got into it. Well, I heard about blockchain, you know, pretty much straight in the beginning in 2009. I had a very, uh, very smart colleague, very much smarter than me, who told me about, about Bitcoin. And I, I thought it was a very interesting concept. And even then, you know, I believed him and he said, you know, this, this, this is really going to change things. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, you know, you're busy, uh, you know, life got in the way. And I didn't really, didn't really get into it, uh, certainly not professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, then in 2016 in Abu Dhabi, which is the capital of the UAE, which is only an hour's drive from here, I met a guy who was on the Augur team, and Augur was one of the first uh, Ethereum uh, DApps uh, prediction markets. And I had a, an hour-long um, conversation with him about uh, how Augur functions, and I was blown away. And so my first investment in uh, and blockchain became Augur. Um, you know, learned a lot from it. Um, I also saw, you know, uh, you know, I saw the good and the bad as well because I saw, look, um, you know, pure decentralization. What decentralization stake um, is is also, you know, it's, it's it it makes for an imperfect user experience often. So I, I thought it was very fascinating and I, I love the accessibility of it and the, uh, the lack of intermediaries, but, you know, the user experience was, uh, wasn't great. And then, you know, I, when, when they first came out in production, I thought there would be thousands of people like me uh, partaking in this uh, protocol, but uh, turned out that, you know, liquidity and, and, and number of participants was actually quite low. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so, but still I was, you know, from that moment on, I, I really got into uh, into blockchain, and and you know, since 2016, I've been reading. You know, I'm reading about uh, daily updates of what's happening in the space. You know, probably like two hours a day, and I still feel like you know I only cover five percent of what's going on. So it's it's been really very very interesting journey, and uh, and I 
I, I was looking for a chance to jump into it, to, uh, to jump into it professionally. And I had the opportunity to do that in 2017 in November. Um, when I was in Singapore, I met, uh, I met uh, one of the guys that you had on your uh, podcast uh, earlier, uh, Seamus Donahue of, um, of Metaco. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and as well as uh, Richard Olson of Licky. And I joined these guys uh, at Licky, which is a, a Swiss crypto exchange. Seamus was running Singapore. Uh, I was running Asia out of Singapore. And I was doing the same in Dubai and running the Middle East business development for Lake in the Middle East. Yeah. Um, now that uh, that lasted for about a year. I um, I had to move on when Lecky decided to refocus. And Seamus, by the way, is the same. We both mm-hmm. had to move on when Lecky decided to uh, refocus on the Swiss market. Uh, and then I, very quickly, I found uh, I, I met these guys at this event in Abu Dhabi called Fintech Abu Dhabi, uh, where I met uh, one of the founders of Currency. Uh, I had a, you know, I had a very interesting chat with him and a month later I was working at uh, Currency. So I started with them October, 2018. Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah, Seamus is a cool guy. Yeah, had him on a while ago. Yeah. And we're still friends. Oh, good, 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 good. So what, what do you guys do with Securency exactly? Like I've looked into it a little bit, but I want to give you the chance to kind of explain a little bit, you know, as the director of innovation strategy, like what kinds of things you guys are innovating, creating, like what's the mission? What's the goal? Yeah, it, it, is, a, it is a little bit uh, difficult to, um, to really categorize us, I guess, uh, or pigeonhole us. Um, so Maybe it's best if I start off with saying what uh, uh, what we are not, just to make uh, make things a bit uh, clearer. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're we're definitely a blockchain company, but we're not a blockchain ourselves. We didn't develop a blockchain. Uh, we don't have a token. Um, we are often compared with, um, especially back in the early days, that you know um, we started in 2015. We are we were often compared with. Uh, issuance platforms like uh, Securitize and Harbor and Polymath. Um, but I would say we're not an issuance platform. It's just one of our capabilities that we developed. Um, we're in the compliance space, but we're also not a KYC or AML provider. We're not a chain analysis. We're not a coin firm. Uh, we have wallet technology, but we're not uh, Fireblocks. We're not a DigiVault. Um, we're not a licensed custodian at all. Um, and we are not a, uh, and we don't really have one single product that uh, that is out there in the market for people to see. So, so. Um, so what does it yeah, do? do? <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> um, so what we are, I, I guess, the easiest way to, to look at it is um, if you if you make the analogy with uh, with Linux and Red Hat. So Red Hat is this uh, this company. Um, a very valuable company which was sold to IBM, I believe, last year or, or two years ago um, for I don't know how many billions, like 30 plus billion dollars, I believe, um, where they, uh, they are this kind of service layer on top of this open source software called Linux, and we are the same. So if, if we are a blockchain agnostic company, but we are kind of the service layer, this middleware 
uh, on top of, um, of uh, mainly public blockchains. We're big believers in public blockchains, but uh, we can also plug in uh, uh, private blockchains. And uh, we make, uh, you know, we try to, to leverage the, um, the, the benefits of blockchains really to, uh, to an audience of institutional clients. And, and those clients are uh, both on the, on the buy side, on the sell side, and also on the market infrastructure provisioning side. So in, in other words, we are a, an infrastructure company, blockchain infrastructure company, with really a large uh, library, a large set of capabilities in the form of uh, API-delivered microservices. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, we call these microservices the, the financial ontology, um, ontology being a, a, the language of finance, um, where you can say the verbs are financial functions and a function can be, for instance, send value, trade value or spend value and the nouns uh, are, let's say, the, the core elements of any financial instrument. So for instance, the base currency or the coupon type or the fixed lag rate, the variable lag rate, uh, et cetera. So mm-hmm. I hope that makes it a bit clearer. Yeah, it's, it's kind of clear, kind of clear. So <laughs> what- <laughs> What is the, the focus then? So as a, in yeah. a blockchain, you know, infrastructure company, what is the thing you guys focus on the most right now? Yeah, we have, I would say, three areas of focus. Uh, first of all, uh, core to everything is, is uh, compliance. Um, uh, it is really central. And in the words of, of one of our clients, compliance is everything. So we, we built a uh, compliance-centric framework. Um, th- the main product is a hybrid on and off-chain compliance oracle. It is um, dynamic attributes based. Um, so what is a dynamic attribute? It, is, uh, it could be, for instance, you know, where does this wallet sit on a, on a spectrum of risk? Um, and that could be a dynamic attribute or, you know, uh, is this a, how qualified of an investor is this client? Could be an attribute. Um, uh, these attributes are fed by an attestation registry where we are getting third party uh, attestations from, uh, for instance, uh, uh, virtual asset service providers and like, uh, like crypto exchanges or regulators uh, with regard to uh, compliance or suitability or other policies. Um, so we take this attestation registry, we combine it with a rules engine, uh, and with that we can we can uh, program um, value. We can program money, whether it's money or debt or capital, mm-hmm. uh, with enforceable policies uh, or, or rule sets. Uh, actually, when I say program. You, you, the client doesn't need to program because we developed a, uh, an interface where it is it is really no code using um, drop downs and, mm-hmm. and so they can easily configure these rule sets and send value out into the open world uh, um, you know allowing it to be used by by pretty much anyone even people with uh, decentralized wallets like a metamask but still keeping a, a level of uh, distribution control uh, just to make sure that um, the, the tokens don't end up in the wallet of uh, Kim Jong-un or if uh, they are sitting in a wallet and that wallet is later identified uh, as a wallet that was involved in a hack 
in ransomware or something that even that token can be frozen or, or recalled, which is very important um, because currency as a company, we really, you know, we really sit at the intersection of, of um, I would say DeFi and the institutional world really where they, uh, where they uh, uh, overlap. Uh, and I think, and I, I think the smart players in, in both worlds are, are getting into this uh, central piece where there's overlap. And, and that's where we sit. We, we try to facilitate the entry of institutions into DeFi. And we also uh, want to leverage DeFi capabilities to a much larger audience than, than that is currently active on, on DeFi. So let's say not only to to people who are highly versed in finance and in technology or, you know, geeks, but also, um, you know, really pretty much anyone and, and especially people who, who require access to, to, um, to lending, for instance, or, or basically access to better yields. Yeah. And, and, you know, who doesn't like better yields? Yeah, exactly. We all want better Definitely. yields. Most yields are pretty horrible outside crypto. Um, exactly. What do you mean exactly when you say you guys want to leverage DeFi? Like, is there like a specific use case you guys can think of that you want to be able to do, or do you just want to be able to play around with it because it's such a you know big niche right now in blockchain? So, so we we want to leverage DeFi. So, what we what we mean with that is that we uh, what we like about it, of course, that that DeFi uh, bootstraps the uh, the uh, development community. I would say so. It is very easy to innovate rapidly because uh, you know you take what's already there something that is very good you don't have to reinvent the wheel um, you know for instance like a, a governance protocol you could take or, or certain uh, certain um, uh, components of, of how to build a synthetic asset or, or something and you build on top of that uh, and you can really with a new innovation and you can really um, uh, innovate very fast, uh, and uh, and on the other side, you bootstrap uh, the larger community for for liquidity. Um, so, so yeah, that that's uh, that's how I would say we uh, we leverage DeFi. You know? And and hmm. really, I think when we we talk about DeFi, uh, what we like about it, what is DeFi? Decentralized finance. What does it really mean? It is it is finance uh, without uh, all the intermediaries. Uh, so there is this intermediated finance. Now, what we call institutional DeFi, we would say it is definitely this intermediate uh, this intermediated, but there is still um, a central control function needed uh, mm-hmm. for it to be compliant, for it to be um, useful in the real world. So I would say less intermediaries, perhaps not zero intermediaries. When you say compliance, are you talking about like built-in on-chain compliance um, or are you talking about compliance with potential regulations or with company guidelines and things like that? Yeah, when I, when I talk about compliance, so, um, so definitely regulatory compliance and that, mm-hmm. uh, and that can be, um, for instance, in the US you have Reg D and Reg S compliance, uh, regulations um, and we can make sure that for instance for a reg the issuance the token only goes to qualified investors uh, so that that's one thing 
And then you have uh, anti-money laundering efforts. So I don't know if you've heard of the Financial Action Task Force and the, mm-hmm. and the travel rule and, and the FinCEN uh, interpretation of that, uh, where we actually uh, leverage our um, compliance oracle for compliance with that travel rule um, and basically allowing... Um, uh, so, so with that, financial institutions can use the uh, compliance oracle to to share qualifications, for instance, um, for for their client accounts without sharing the identity of, of the client, mm-hmm. uh, but still complying with the with the travel. Yeah. What about compliance with like travel? Like, for example, like if you're traveling, let's say internationally, like you have obviously, or like I have, and you got like over ten thousand dollars in crypto. Like, I mean, however, you know the government chooses to look at that like is that like a compliance issue too for the ordinary person or would it be also like a compliance issue for an exec in a company or just a company in general that's doing international business like are these things that kind of pop into your head as an innovator yeah yeah so for sure so so that's the thing of course about blockchain it uh, um, cash is of course completely anonymous and uh, it, it is very easy to um uh, uh, of course, uh, es- escape uh, law enforcement using cash. It, it is, it's not really traceable. Mm-hmm. Um, with, with blockchain, it, it is great, but it's also very easy to transfer large amounts of money, you know, in an instant. And, and that makes it very attractive to, you know, criminal elements. Um, so when it comes to limits on, on currency, whether it's $10,000 or um, $1,000 in, in the case well, it's either three thousand dollars or one thousand dollars. In the case of the uh, uh, FedEx travel rule, uh, we can we can in, indeed uh, you know, uh, report on any transactions or even have the virtual asset service provider stop any transaction that that breaches that threshold. So that's that's an easy thing that we can build in into the into this um, uh, into these policy recipes that we have. Yeah, just touching on that a little bit more, like what would you consider, you know, an actual transfer of, you know, crypto internationally? Um, you know, and I, get, I get this question sometimes too, because people will they'll have a significant amount of crypto and they're traveling internationally a lot. And they're like, do I need to declare that on that form on the plane or at customs? Like, is, is that even considered money? Is, is that even considered, you know, something that I'm transferring since it's all on the blockchain technically? Um, like, is there a way to look at that or to clarify that for people? Or is that still like a huge gray area? No, I wouldn't say you have to de- declare that at all when you travel. I think you, you only declare uh, how much cash you have. You don't have to declare how much you have in your bank account. Uh, same In the same way, you don't have to declare how much you have sitting in your MetaMask wallet. Um, so, um, so that's not an issue. Um, where it comes to taxation, it's of course a different uh, matter. So if you're trading crypto, mm-hmm. you're going in and out of crypto and you're booking gains now in certain countries like the US, every time you make a gain, that's capital gains tax, right? Um, thankfully, I live in the UAE where there is no uh, uh, capital gains tax. We don't even have income tax here. Um, There's so no capital gains tax there? No. What? Really? I didn't know that. <laughs> no capital gains, no income tax. Uh, value-added tax, or you guys would call it sales tax, has only been introduced um, a couple of years ago, 5%. I'm on my way to Dubai. Jesus. 
The capital gains taxes are going up everywhere right now. Yeah. Going up in Colombia, no, where I'm at right now. They're going up in the U.S. Apparently, jeez. Okay, so you're in Colombia, the the country. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't uh, mention that probably. Yeah, I I live part of the time in Medellin, Colombia, um, and the other part of the time I live in Las Vegas. Oh, okay, must be beautiful there. Oh, it's it's gorgeous. It's um depends on the time of the year. Sometimes it's a little bit more rainier than than usual, but. Um, right now, I guess it's kind of more like summer months. So it's generally about the same uh, weather cycle every day, all year. So I don't know. I love it. People are nice. Food's good. Um, a lot of innovation here, too, in terms of software and tech and, and blockchain. Uh, lots and lots of interest for blockchain. So it's kind of fun. Yeah, here, too, there is a lot of blockchain activity. We um... Uh, we're also quite blessed with the regulators here. They are pretty um, forward-leaning. Uh, it's actually uh, part of the reason why we set up uh, office in 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 Abu Dhabi, which is mm -hmm. the, the capital of the UAE, uh, because the Abu Dhabi global market, which is a financial free zone and its, it's regulator, uh, they early on two years ago developed a digital asset. Um, they might have called it virtual asset. Um, framework uh, allowing for exchanges and custodians and um, and other uh, uh, virtual asset service providers to set up in the free zone uh, and even the the federally the federal um, uh, regulator itself now is allowing uh, we just this week had an opening of a crypto center in uh, one of the other uh, free zones here um, you know we, we re regularly get you know, uh, high-profile people like uh, like Lisa from Stellar over to do talks. I have a Stellar sticker here on my computer that, that I got from one of those events. And uh, all of these events here attract a lot of people. You know, in the UAE, the, the population is, um, you know, it's, it's pretty much 80% expat and, and most people are between the ages of 20 and, and 40. Mm -hmm. So there's a huge interest. And of course, people are are pretty tech savvy here and, and, and mobile savvy and, uh, and are, and are also having to send money abroad. So, um, so that's also, uh, of course, a huge, um, uh, drives huge interest in crypto as well. So yeah, it, it is really interesting uh, place to be. Um, yeah, it's, it's quieted down a bit with COVID, but, um, tomorrow again, I'm going to a crypto roof party. So uh, I'm looking forward to that one. Crypto roof party in Abu Dhabi in Dubai or worse in, in Dubai in Dubai. In Dubai. Yeah. Crypto rooftop party in Dubai. That's got to be pretty cool. Oh yeah, yeah. You should uh, you should come and visit. Yeah, it's a it's a long ways away, but yeah, I'm I'm wanting to at some point. What's the lifestyle like there? Is it expensive or like you see in all the pictures and videos, or is it more reasonable than people think? Or no, it it is uh, it is pretty reasonable. You can it depends on your on your lifestyle you can you can uh, spend every day in five-star hotels and, and but uh, you can have a very normal life here um, um it becomes a little bit more expensive when uh, when you have kids like i do you have to send mm -hmm. them to private schools uh, so that's not subsidized um but uh, otherwise it's, I, I would say it's pretty reasonable um and of course uh, not having to pay the income tax is you know makes a huge difference um, but there's also a lot of temptation here. You know, you can you can uh, rent yachts. You can go to the best restaurants. 
Um, mm -hmm. you know, there's always, there, you know, everybody drives nice cars. So if you feel like you have to uh, keep up with the Kardashians, then, uh, you know, you're going to buy a nice car. Mm -hmm. uh, and then very, very quickly, you find out that actually you're not saving that much. But uh, yeah, if you keep it reasonable, then, you know, lifestyle is pretty affordable. Are, are, do you consider yourself an expat living there or like, have you gone through that process or? Um, yeah. So I've been here 11 years, so I'm, I'm, I'm definitely an expat. I'm, I'm lucky. I, I recently got a 10 year visa. So it used to be three year visas. Now, now they're introducing 10 year visas. Um, so, so that's good. Uh, even this year they started with um, providing passports uh, to people um, and, and these people tend to be, um, you know, tend to be high achievers or people with special merits, people who have been a long time in the country, um, uh, innovators, academics, and, and they are starting to uh, receive passports. So, um, yeah, who knows that might be in the work. Yeah. Is it difficult to get a visa there? Like if you want it, you've never really been there before and you want to go and, you know, potentially live there. Is that a, a difficult process as no, well? Or is it simple or? It's very easy. They, uh, they, you can always come on a, on a visit visa. That's very easy. And then they introduce now uh, uh, like a string of new uh, initiatives to, to attract more talent to the, uh, to the country, more talent and, of course, more innovative uh, companies as well. So they're making it very easy. And you have now this um, uh, remote work uh, visa. So as long as you can prove that you earn more than X uh, dollars, you can... Uh, you can work from the UAE and enjoy the tax-free lifestyle uh, and, and uh, get a remote work visa. You, you have freelancer visas. Uh, you can set up a company for, you know, for very reasonable amounts and, uh, and sponsor yourself. Mm -hmm. So it is, uh, yeah, it is very uh, friendly to people who have, uh, who have skills, uh, especially people in technology. Um, you know, we started the office here with three people. We're about 40 people now in the UAE. I think we're going we're gonna to grow that to about 100 people um, maybe by, by mid-next year. Um, and, um, you, know, you know, a lot of people, they, they really see, see the benefit. Besides the tax and all that, seeing the lifestyle. If you have young kids, it's very safe here. Mm -hmm. um you know, there's lots to do and so it's a very attractive place and and, not, and it's also it's always moving because of the the makeup of the population like i said young young population uh tax savvy there's there's a uh, there's a lot of investment there's a lot of fdi there's a lot of investment that's driven uh, by the uh, by the sovereign wealth funds here as well so they're they're actively investing now in their home base they they used to be more outward focused and and invest large large sums of money in, in the US and Europe, they are now starting to really invest in their home countries. And, and yeah, that's, that's driving a lot of, um, uh, of companies to, to establish here. And, uh, and I'm happy to say that we also received an investment from, uh, from a sovereign wealth fund here. And with that, we'll be standing up uh, uh, new entities in, in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, you make it sound so tempting to, for me to just <laughs> move my business to to Abu Dhabi or Dubai or whatever, whatever it's called, the UAE domicile there, pay no tax and just live, live awesome. <laughs> uh, look, it's not a bad place at all. It, it does. I, I really like it. It, it does get uh, pretty hot in summer. Uh, but the good mm -hmm. thing is uh, everywhere has great AC. 
um, and uh, you know the way the way uh, my wife and me do it. So we uh, you know we're very happy here all year round, and in the summer we escape either to uh, Europe or to Lebanon, where she's from, and and go to the mountains there and enjoy the nice temperatures. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but you know, besides those two months a year, July, August, uh, maybe September, it's uh, it's it's a very good lifestyle here. Yeah, I've I've lived and spent a lot of time in Las Vegas, so I understand the heat problem. <laughs> you right. you always want to be inside, or you always need AC. So all the best stuff to do is always indoors. So I imagine maybe it's kind of similar there too, huh? It might be uh, more humid, more humid than Las Vegas. I really? guess that's very dry heat uh, here because we're next to the sea. It's uh, a bit more humid. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, Vegas is very dry. <laughs> Every time I go, I'm like, Columbia is very humid. So every time I go back to Vegas, like I can feel it immediately. Like the moisture in the air is just gone and it's just pure desert heat. So it's like, you got to change your whole routine just to kind of survive there. Or you got to stay inside all the time. The air, the AC just kind of like dries you out, man. I don't know. But, um, yeah, kind of to start wrapping it up and everything does security have like any public partnerships um, that you could give an example of that help explain better what it does as a use case. We've talked about it a lot from a more technical side, but at a surface level, I mean, maybe as much as possible, um, what kind of examples can you guys give or are you guys still very early on? Yeah, sure. So you might have seen that we just recently closed our series B. And so with that, we, um, we added uh, a few new investors, but also clients to the, to the roster, uh, including uh, State Street, uh, US Bank, uh, and Wisdom Tree, who was already a Series A investor. They, um, they uh, topped up their investment to, to retain their, their percentage stake. Um, so with Wisdom Tree in particular, I can give you an example of what they're trying to do with digital assets and how we, how we come in. So, so I guess Wisdom Tree, they disrupted uh, mutual funds with, with ETFs. They're, they're like a 60 billion, 70 billion dollar ETF manager in New York. Um, so they disrupted that market um, with, you know, with just the convenience, the tr- transparency and the, uh, I guess the tax efficiency of ETFs uh, vis-a-vis uh, mm-hmm. uh, mutual funds. Uh, I guess they came to the conclusion that in turn, uh, the ETF business could be disrupted by blockchain um, and in particular ETF like self-executing funds in, in the form of smart contracts. Mm-hmm. So they saw that power of smart contracts, they saw the global rails, the, the automated compliance and, and transfer agency that's possible. So transfer agency is basically a record of who owns what uh, and, and make sure that people get their dividends, etc. cetera. Uh, and they saw the potential of, of the distribution uh, straight into retail. So um, they, were, they are well positioned. They already have, of course, all these quality assets that they can bring to the chain. Uh, and they understand automated fund management very well. Uh, and of course, they are uh, thinking to replicating also these uh, processes on chain, um, making it more cost efficient, uh, but also allowing for more rapid product development and customization. Um, so you can think of... Um, self-executing, self-balancing funds that are as tax efficient as an ETF, uh, but can potentially trade on a, on a global exchange. And that global exchange really is called, you know, it's really called the internet. I mean, that's, it's mm-hmm. limitless. 
uh, rather than just on, on NASDAQ, where it's, it's pretty much only available to a sophisticated uh, international audience and a US audience. Um, and, and also with, with our technology, so we bring the compliance uh, there, the automated transfer agency, but with our technology also, um, they are planning to, to um, have this, uh, you know, have a mobile app and, and enter uh, into, into digital uh, payments and into payments uh, using digital assets. So you can imagine that, you know, you, you have a, um, a, a bunch of digital assets in your, in your wallet. And when you want to, uh, to buy something, you can either sell uh, a piece of, of such an asset or you can generate an instant loan against that asset for a stable coin and then use that stable coin to make a payment. So that's, um, uh, that's also a very, very important part of their strategy and, and reason why they're getting into additional assets. Uh, with State Street and with US Bank, uh, I guess that in, with banks in general, it often starts with custody. Um, sometimes as a, as a loss leader, I, I would say in State Street's case, um, you know, also as a core business, but in any case, it's a great base to offer uh, trading of digital assets, um, but also then um, traditional banking business such as uh, FX and, and lending as well. I can definitely so, tell that you're the director of innovation strategy. I can, I can see the passion in explaining all these different things. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Good. I'm happy. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's actually probably a good place to wrap it up. We've gone for a while, actually. Um, so... Yeah, Manuel, thanks for taking the time to come on. Really appreciate it, you know, giving a whole bunch of detail, kind of explaining more about what Securency is, um, you know, life in Dubai and, um, you know, the, the importance of air conditioning and crypto in Dubai and Dubai. I'm not even saying that right. Um, it's cool to learn about that because I've never really gotten uh, a good insight into what it's like there outside of what you see in like pictures and videos and stuff like that. So I think people will enjoy that. And then, um, you know, all the, the partnerships and things you guys are working on, very exciting and um, looking forward to seeing how you guys, you know, progress. Well, you're, you're always welcome in Dubai. I would, I would be more than happy to show you around and take you to crypto rooftop parties uh, or whatever else you would like to see. I'm on my uh, way. My... I'm on my way. I want to see. Crypto, <laughs> I want to see what this crypto rooftop party is like in Dubai. That's got to be insane. Good, good. Make sure. I, I wouldn't <laughs> recommend to come in the summer, but uh, come in October onwards uh, and, uh, and we'll do that. And vice versa. I, I'd love to see Colombia, so we might meet up there. But in any case, it was, um, you know, it was my pleasure to be on your show and I, I hope it was useful uh, for, uh, for your uh, audience. And, uh, you know, my, my email is manuel at currency.com if anybody wants to contact me no more mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Also, where should people go if they want to learn more about Securency or follow you guys? You guys have social media. Should you guys have a blog or just where do you want people to go? Yeah, so we have uh, we have news updates and a newsletter you can sign up to on our website, uh, which is Securency.com. So it's um, the word is uh, basically currency with S-E in front. Uh, and then we're active on both LinkedIn and Twitter and um and we'll start a, a proper blog. We have, we have, we actually have a medium uh, channel, so a blog channel on, on medium. Uh, we haven't been very active, but we'll be more active uh, in the future. Uh, it helps now that we have these extra funds from Series B, so we'll, uh, everybody can expect to see more of us. And uh, 
we look forward to engaging uh, more with our audience uh, and talk about institutional DeFi. Absolutely. Man, it's been great having you on and I look forward to you know talking again with you in the near future. Thanks so much and all the best with the show.